Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it's a football Friday and a fan Friday. You know the drill. John Jemmy is getting loose in the bullpen, and he's got his A-plus stuff today. We're going to go pick the Week 11 games, give you a three-pack of games for college football this weekend, and answer your questions, including a few non-football questions I'm very excited to talk about here on this edition of Drive Time from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So it's a Friday. The Lunch Bunch is coming up here in just a few hours, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. And the Lunch Bunch, if you're not familiar, myself, Seth Levitt, and OJ McDuffie, both of the Fish Tank Podcast and the Triumvirate of Us Three, make up the post-game show on 560 WQAM and 99 Kiss Country right after your Miami Dolphins every single Sunday, sometimes on Thursday, once on Monday this year. But before that, let's go ahead and get to my weekly Friday guest here on Drive Time and welcome in John Congemi. And joining me as he does every Friday here on the Drive Time podcast is John Congemi. John, we had two wins in five days, both at Hard Rock Stadium, made for a fun couple of days there at the ballpark. How you doing, man? How's it going for you this week? I'm doing great, Travis. You know, that that last win against the Baltimore Ravens I, put me in a long line of people that I've talked to during the week saying, well, I didn't expect to see that. <laughs> and you know, I was happy that we did. You know, it was a dominating performance by the defense, uh, holding Jackson, uh, you know, limiting him on the ground and explosive plays and that. That defense was just spectacular. So I'm fired up and see if we can keep it going here on the road against the the hated New York Jets. I love that you said that. I don't know if you remember this from Thursday night, but the Xavier Howard scoop and score was the most kind of emotion I think I've shown this season, at least, you know, after the Patriots game, because that was a fun victory and the Bills game got away so quickly that there wasn't much to celebrate. The Raiders game kind of went in that direction. I think the Landon Roberts pick six, probably a fun one there, but I, I don't know if you remember, but I kind of like nudged you and Seth because they, they put yeah. Seth in there with us. And I was I was pretty fired up, man. Like that was that was a big moment this season for us. Well, you know, there hadn't been a whole lot to get excited about because the expectations have been so high for the Miami Dolphins this season, at least going into it. And now you, you've got some players and plays that are starting to become a trend. And it's a good trend. It's not it's not a negative trend. Uh, Xavier Howard, what can you say? punch out, scoop, score. I mean, and there was a lot of jerseys the same colors as his out in front of him. So it's just not, you know, great individual effort. But I think this team is starting to feel like, you know, I can make a play or I can contribute to somebody else making a play and just by doing your job and and letting kind of the superstars do their work. That's why they're getting paid uh, the hefty salaries to make plays like that. And and X uh, really did a great job on that one. 
That was great to see. You can definitely tell Xavier Howard was a high school running back on that run back. And I'm glad you mentioned the blockers too, because Javon Holland got down there, made a big block. And it reminded me of the Arizona scoop and score last year by Shaq Lawson, which was punched out by Emmanuel Ogba. And Brandon Jones came screaming out of nowhere for a huge block on that touchdown run. So anytime you get one of those scoop and scores, you usually have some good blocks down the field. You mentioned the hated Jets, and we go up to to the Meadowlands this time around. They'll be back down here in about a month. But that Jet defense right now, John, they're struggling. And when that's the case, I mean, if, if you look at the coverage numbers for this team, whether it's safety, cornerback, or linebacker, it's really across the board they're having a tough time. So my question for you is when you go against a team that is struggling in that regard, how do you want to attack them? Is it more about trying to find the one area that you think they're struggling the most in? Or is it something you try to get your particular guy a fo- the football? Like when you go up against a team that's really having a tough time across the board, what's your approach in a game like that? that that's a tough balancing act because your initial reaction is hey, let's attack them where they're the weakest. And I, I think that's a big consideration. But when you kind of take a step back, it's all about what you do well as an offense matched up against the deficiencies of the New York Jets and their defense. Um, you know, when you take a look at the numbers, which I'm sure you, you, you're you all over, I mean, the Jets don't do anything particularly well on defense. I mean, they're, they're ranked last in total yards, and, and passing yards are next to last. And rushing yards, uh, they're, they're, you know, it rivals those two numbers that I talked about. <laughs> yeah. They're about 29. Uh, they give up the most points in the league. So as an offense, what do the Dolphins do well? Okay, they get Tua back. He's probably going to be much healthier than he was against the Ravens, um, even though he, he looked like he was, once he got into the flow, uh, he could make any, any throw on the field, which was great to see. So what do you do? You go to your playmakers because that's been the bread and butter of the Miami Dolphin offense. If there's anything you can hang your hat on, besides getting the goose egg last week, Mike Kosicki's been a playmaker, okay? Jalen Waddell. For all we talk about wanting to get him on more explosive plays, he's been dependable, he's been durable, he's been run after catch, he does all those things. So let's go through those two guys again. That's where it starts, right? Go through those two guys. And if one is taken away, you, you hope that Albert Wilson, you know, took a step forward last week. Isaiah Ford took a step forward last week. Adam Shaheen took a step forward last week. You have answers, right? So I think it all starts with what do you do well on offense And then you kind of match and marry that up to, hey, the Jets are pretty much not good across the board on defense, meaning they haven't had anything to say, well, at least this is so good that we don't have to worry about it. So I think the Dolphins run their offense, go through their playmakers, and let their decision maker, Tua Tungavailoa, dictate what you can do with the offense pushing it through the air. And if you get a little bit of run help, that's going to really bolster the attack. I'm really glad you mentioned Albert Wilson because going back and watching the tape of that game, the reason they sprung that that blown coverage to really put that game pretty much on ice at the end there was because they had run a bunch of those jet motion looks and right. eventually the Ravens just lost track of him. And that can happen when you have a couple of guys like a Waddle and a Wilson that have that not just vertical speed, but horizontal speed. So I'm with you. It was great to see him back in the fold. Hopefully he keeps this thing going. You mentioned Waddle and Gasicki. Maybe we get Fuller and Parker back here down the line eventually, and we can finally see this offense at its full peak that we expected back in training camp and an offense that really had a lot of good practices back in August. But that's for another day. And you mentioned you know this Jets defense. And if there is one thing, John, that I think they do do well, 
It's that their pressure comes primarily from their two guys inside, and both of them, you know, Quinn and Williams and John Franklin Myers, they're kind of like Christian Wilkins in the sense that they can play across the entire defensive line. But I was curious, as you know, a former quarterback, how do you account for a team whose the the superior element of their pass rush comes from the interior opposed to the outside? Because obviously, when you have a, a great edge rusher like you know a Jason Taylor or a Cameron Wake. You can chip and you can double and you can put guys to the side. But when it's on the inside, how does that kind of protection differ when that's where the primary pressure comes from? Well, being a guy that used to like to stay in the pocket and maybe utilize the pocket stepping up, that's a problem. And no matter if you're a six foot six guy, six foot five guy, or you're six foot, six foot one, um, when you have pressure up the middle, and Franklin Myers and Williams do a great job of pushing the pocket from the middle, that means the integrity of the crown of, of the pocket where, where you're going to have, uh, you know, Austin Jackson and, and Robert Hunt and, and, and Ryder, you know, at center, kind of really setting, setting a strong base in there. That, that's going to be important this week. And I think that, you know, the ball's got to come out on time, and you can control – uh, to a certain extent, as you mentioned, those that edge uh, rush and the pressure and, and those guys coming upfield because you can step up. But when there's nowhere to step up or it's crowded in there, that's where you have problems as a quarterback. So that's why I mentioned at the end of that last answer, if the Dolphins can maybe run the football a little bit more this week. And that means using Shaheen and, and possibly using uh, Smythe in motion behind the line of scrimmage. Let's trap. Williams, let's trap yeah. Franklin Myers. Let him come up field and, and take the bait and and hit him in the ear hole a couple times, and, and maybe put some hesitation on that on that you know thrust coming up the field and that that really penetration they're trying and havoc they're trying to create. And then you slow that up a little bit because they're they're, they're kind of looking around saying where's the next shot coming from. So my key this week to that question is it has to be pocket integrity up front. Those three guys in the inside have really have to play their best football. And I think that you kind of mix and match how you run the football effectively and how you block those guys between doubling up, getting some motion behind a line of scrimmage, and trying to kind of take away uh, that sprinter stance from a, a three technique or a one technique defensive tackle. That, that was kind of how they used to defend Dominican Sue down here, right? Because he was so yes. quick to pin his ears back, especially under Chris Kusarek, the, the now 49ers defensive line coach, who is all about that one-gap get-up field. And when you mention uh, Durham Smythe and a wham block, it takes me back to the Miami Miracle game. I don't know if you recall that game. Brandon Bolden had like a 50-yard rushing touchdown, and yes. Durham had a great wham block on that rush. That's what it kind of brings me back to. So good stuff there, John. And you talk about the offense, you know, the kind of turnaround here the last couple of weeks has been spearheaded by this Miami Dolphins defense, which of course has led to complimentary football, timely offense, and some good special teams as well. But the defensive resurgence is what kind of has fans pumped up right now. So my question is, can they replicate it? And, you know, and to kind of further that question, it's kind of on tape now, right? Like after the last three or four games, they've been showing this particular look that has adapted, of course, to each each individual opponent. But at the end of the day, it's about pressure and getting that pressure to marry up with the coverage. So how does Miami kind of tinker with the defensive game plan to continue doing what they do well, but also to keep it fresh? Well, I think they're, they are going to kind of stay with that, that game plan because it's worked. And you mentioned, you know, yeah, it's out there, it's on film. And there's always been a belief, if I can go on the other side of the football and offense, 
that if you can just capitalize on one big play versus pressure versus zero coverage, meaning nobody in the middle of the football field, everybody's playing man coverage, the defense may back off. Now, you don't have to do it a lot, but if Joe Flacco, who's making his first start in a long time, can go one for three in a big play or a touchdown, it kind of puts some hesitation and doubt in maybe Josh Boyer's mind about, hey, do we want to show him that again? But you still need to see it first. You have to prove it to the defense to get him out of that. So if I'm if I'm the Dolphins this week, I'm coming after Joe Flacco, daring those guys to say, hey, let go ahead and beat me. You know, one of the best in football couldn't do it last week. Not only could he not beat us through the air, he couldn't even escape and use his legs. And that's where probably arguably he's his most dangerous. So I would I would say a guy that the Jets sound like they're banking on to one, get rid of the football on time, know where he's going with the football, and locate it so they can make big plays, I'd have to see it first, right? I have to I have to let Joe Flacco prove it to me. And if he does with any type of consistency, that's where you maybe see the Dolphins go to plan B or plan C. But right now, I'm coming after it. I'm going to mix it up a little bit because I don't want to give the Jets free field position or a free touchdown. But I, I do want to play right on the edge again. I want to get right on the edge, show a lot of stuff up front. Maybe you get some communication, uh, miscommunication with the offensive line and running backs, and you, and you hit home on a couple big sacks again. And actually, now that you mentioned that, going back over the tape last year from, I think it was week six, the shutout of performance this Dolphins defense put out there against Joe Flacco and a different Jets team and different coaching staff. But he, he did try that a couple of times to Byron Jones. I recall him trying to basically get a yes. one-on-one chance and just throw that thing up there and hope for the best. And it never worked for them in that game. So I, I like the Dolphins' chances there with, with Xavier Howard and Byron Jones doing their thing off the outside. But that's a great point, John. And to kind of finish this thing up before the mailbag, the Dolphins will win this game, John, if? Well, unfortunately, I think this is going to be a game that mirrors uh, the Texans game to a certain extent, where it's if you can win the turnover margin, if you can handle sudden change if a turnover happens, both on offense and on defense, and this offense, the Dolphin offense, can score a couple touchdowns so they don't have to settle for red zone field goals. Then the spread gets from a 17-9 Texans game to a 24-10, 24-3, type of game. That's where I'm seeing it because even though these teams like to give up points defensively, the offenses have struggled even with maybe good field position or consistency. So I I feel like it's going to be a little bit of back and forth where it's field position, turnover here, sudden change, who reacts better. And if the Dolphins can win margin – Sudden change, touchdowns in the red zone, they come away with a 14 to 17 point victory. That was kind of the script last year in both those games, too. A strong defensive performance from Miami, and offense had their timely hits when they got them, and so they kind of found their way into those exact same wins, like you mentioned there. Good stuff, John. Uh, let's get a couple of mailbag questions. You ready for those? Yes, let's go. I, I, asked, I told you beforehand I had a tricky question for you. I didn't want to prime you for it because I wanted it to be uh, really authentic here. I cheated, though. I went ahead and looked ahead. So <laughs> this, <laughs> this question comes from at Brian Meinhart. Uh, he asks, what Dolphins players have developed on the practice squad and ended up having a productive NFL career, or any team for that matter? And again, I went back and looked from 2010 up until the current team, and I have a couple of guys that actually were on the Dolphins practice squad and went on to successful NFL careers. Can you think of anyone that comes to your mind off the top of your head, John? Wow. I mean, I, I would have to say maybe <laughs> Nick Needham. 
I, I don't know if he was ever on the practice squad, uh, but a guy that was unknown that that's having a pretty good career from coming, you know, from, from the street or, or from a guy that wasn't highly regarded to a guy that gets a lot of playing time and, and any given week can, can play at a really high level. Um, I maybe, uh, a Guavin, I, I don't know if he's going to, you know, turn out to be a guy that was, uh, you're highly regarded. I think he might've been on the practice squad. So there's just a couple of guys that, you know, I don't know if, if Sealer was a guy that was on the Ravens practice squad that now is with the Dolphins and playing, you know, highly impactful plays on, on that defensive line. But just recently, that those are the names that kind of come to mind. No, you checked all the boxes. That was fantastic. Uh, Needham did start his rookie season on the practice squad, got called up. And you might recall he had a difficult preseason and fans were pretty tough on him on Twitter. And then he got the call up and he started playing well right away. And here he is, you know, in his third year in the NFL and he's, he's a pretty solid player. I'm glad you mentioned Sealer. He was on my list as well. But I went a little bit further back than you here. So Chris Hogan was on the 2011 practice yes. squad. And all, 7-11. 7-11, that's right. And although he didn't make it here, he obviously had a great career with the Patriots up there in the AFC East. The Dolphins also signed Michael Thomas off the 49ers practice squad, mm-hmm. and then he would go on to seal the very next game he played by picking off Tom Brady in the end zone. What a great story that was. He then went on to have a great special teams career and had his hand in all kinds of social impact committees, a great ambassador of the game. A and great guy, too. One of the best great guys guy. there ever was, right? A captain for this team for a couple of years there. And then Jesse Davis was on the 2016 practice squad, and he is still here uh, starting on the offensive line. So those were some of the names I had. I'm, that was fantastic. Fantastic. You, you pulled the three names that I didn't go to. I went back further for three names. <laughs> so there you go, Brian. You got six names that are just on the Miami Dolphins. I'd be curious to hear some other guys. I think James Harrison of the Steelers was a practice squad guy once upon a time, and he went on to have basically almost a Hall of Fame level career. So they're out there. They're out there. Yeah, you know, you never know what's going to happen when you're on the practice squad, and especially over the last couple of years with with COVID and, and guys getting bounced up up and down the line, it seems like, on a weekly basis, you're only a play away. Uh, no matter if you're on the practice squad, if you're a backup guy, or you're a first, you know, a, a first or second or third or fourth round draft choice, you know, things happen in this league and you always have to be ready. And we've seen it happen in a number of occasions at multiple positions this year with the Dolphins. Absolutely. The Dolphins actually just signed Jamal Perry back to off the practice squad after he was down on the practice squad most of the season. I think Elijah Campbell missed practice. He missed the last game as well, so he's been kind of banged up as one of those core special teamers who I think had a pretty good season in that role. Maybe Perry comes up and replaces him in that role if he can't go on Sunday. Next question here from at Hypocritics, I think is his name. Did you notice Miami was spreading Baltimore out more than they have this season? I'd love to see some more spread going forward. Also like the way they're getting Albert Wilson involved. So, John, did you see them kind of use more spacing against Baltimore on offense? I thought they I thought they had a good plan against Baltimore. And I did see a lot of guys in different positions. We saw some motion, you know, with Albert. And, and I'd like to see Jalen kind of maybe adapt in, into that role some, too with uh, some fly and jet sweep and, and I don't know what they're calling it behind the quarterback orbit motion, maybe uh, <laughs> that you're going around and, and, and move him around a little bit more too. And, and if we're at the point now where, you know, we can adapt and, and move a little bit more, I'd like to see Jalen kind of in that role that Albert kind of re reconstructed and, and brought back to the forefront. It was nice to see him get involved. No, that's a great point. Uh, the Dolphins coaches this week actually talked about how much they have put on their rookies plates 
And I mean, why wouldn't you? Right now, Waddle, Phillips, and Holland, you know, the top three picks in this year's class, are playing a whole bunch of football and playing some of the best ball on the team. And it's almost like the converse of that rookie wall thing, like you talk about there. As they get more and more comfortable here, maybe they have the best parts of their season down the backstretch here for the Miami Dolphins. That's a great point right there. One more question for you here, John, and we normally have a one-per-customer rule around here, but Brian Meinhart again asked another question that I couldn't ignore with you on the podcast, John. He asks... Who makes the key lime pies that you guys torture us with every single week? Now, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that part, John. Do you? And if no, can you give Brian here a key lime pie recommendation, being that you've got way more South Florida residency years on, on me than I've been down here? You know, we I, I can and I can't think of the name, but I'll promise to get it okay. uh, <laughs> for a forum next week. Um, there, there's a place on Orange Drive. And actually, the Dolphins do a great job with their employees. They, they give a list out of, of different pies that you can purchase for Thanksgiving or they will give out on Thanksgiving to the employees. And I believe the place is right on Orange Drive between University and the Turnpike um, exit ramp there on the south side of, 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 uh, of Griffin Road, yeah. Orange and Griffin right there. And uh, I'll get the name. I don't have it uh, right right in front of me right now, but that's the place. Uh, key lime pie, pumpkin pie, uh, banana cream pie, anything you want, they've got the best. I am literally going to hold you to that because my brother and his kids are coming to town for Thanksgiving, and I have to go do all the shopping, and that sounds perfect. So I need, to, I need that name. <laughs> Whenever you can get it, John, I appreciate that, man. No problem. I'll, I'll work on that uh, and, and have that for us at the top of the show. How's that? <laughs> Sounds good. And then I'll, I'll uh, put it out there on Twitter as well so Brian can see that. John, that's all I got for you today, man. I appreciate your time. Um, we'll be back for a nice little homestand here in a few weeks after this trip to the Jets. So we'll see you at the, at the stadium and, of course, every single Friday, except next week. No Friday podcast with John for the Thanksgiving week. But other than that, we'll have you back every single week. John, thank you so much, man. You're the man. Appreciate it. You got it. Good to be with you, and hopefully we get a win up there in New York. That'd be great. Yes, sir. Enjoy your Thanksgiving, John. You too. And there he goes. He really says it all every time he comes on Drive Time here on the Friday edition of the podcast. Let's go ahead and continue the mailbag here. A few more questions from you all. We also have a written piece up on MiamiDolphins.com this weekend answering a few more of your questions. I really appreciate you guys writing into the podcast and letting us know what you think, asking some questions for John and I as well as myself. This first one here from at Patty Perk, and this is off football topic. Who was the best character from the hit children's cartoon, Doug? Right up my alley, Pat. I grew up on Stick Stickly summer programming. You go outside and play wiffle ball or football or whatever. You come back in, get a popsicle, watch an episode of Doug or Hey Arnold. Those were two institutions in my household. And my answer would be the same for both shows. It's the best friend of our hero, right? Arnold and Doug. Gerald and Skeeter. Everybody needs a Gerald or Skeeter to to really both provide a moral compass, but also... Be that ride-or-die homie that you need in your life. And you know who else is going to stand up to Roger Klotz or speak fondly about you to Patty Mayne? So for me, it's Skeeter all the way. Next question from at FinFan from Illinois85. When will Jared Dokes get his chance? And actually, Brian Flores addressed this on Wednesday, I believe it was. And he said that Jared is doing a good job learning the game plan every single week, that he takes the, that he takes the approach that he's going to be out there, and that's what you want from your guys. And when the opportunity presents itself, Coach said, I think he'll be ready. And then this is just me speaking now. And this is in no way me saying that I think this would be 
what Jared's obstacle to overcome is. But generally speaking, pass protection is such a big part of the position. And one area I think folks tend to gloss over a little bit, I actually think it's an area that Miami needs to be better at across the board in the second half of the season. But there's a lot more that goes into that position than just running the football. So Coach Flores talks about it there. He's working his way into trying to find a role when it presents himself. At Tiller Sports asks, why is uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 the greatest album by Coheed and Cambria? If you guys are not familiar, I'm sure most of you are not. They are a sort of progressive emo rock band from the early 2000s that is still going on today and my favorite all-time band. Uh, You know, it's a tremendous record. I think most Coheed fans were probably introduced to the band by A Favor House Atlantic, their kind of main song besides Welcome Home. Uh, The Crowing is a sensational ballad of sorts. The title track is a song I've played probably a thousand times in my life. Al the Killer, a nice change of pace. 2113, there's just so much variety in that record. It's a phenomenal record. But what if I told you that I was a second stage turbine blade guy and it's a perfect track from 1 through 11 including the bonus track I Robot. So always going to talk to a fellow child of the fence but yeah Coheed forever man they're the best band of all time. Let's end with this one from the great Jason Sarney. He's at Jason underscore Sarney. Check out his website the Finns Maniacs as well. Better dynamic duo. Pat and Sam that's Patrick Sertan and Sam Madison. Zach and JT Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor or Dan Marino and OJ McDuffie. Or Larry and Leon from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Be honest, he says. You're killing me here, Sarni. And look, you know, I tweeted about this this week that Curb Your Enthusiasm has the best TV relationship of all time, Larry and Leon. And it's also a top 10 all-time show because to me, Larry is genuinely hilarious. It's just all jokes and it's authentic. And it's inadvertently entirely inclusive, which is what I love about it. Like, it's not preachy or in your face. It's just great jokes. And it's, it's, it's the best one of the best shows there is. And since one of these things is not like the other in Larry and Leon, I'm going to take those guys. If you haven't seen Curb, go watch it. And the evolution of Larry and Leon throughout, I think, 11 seasons now, the absolute best. Our college three-pack this week takes us across the national, the uh, college football landscape, I should say. And we start here with number 12, Wake Forest at Clemson. Andrew Booth is a top cornerback prospect in this year's class. Long, great recovery speed, good ball skills. Keep an eye on him in this high-powered Wake Forest offense that has posted up 70 points this season a couple times, I think. And then on the other side of the football, Justin Ross is a really polished receiver prospect who was actually one of the kind of top-level guys a couple years back when they had T. Higgins. And I'm forgetting someone else off the top of my head. Oh, uh, Amari Rogers. He was in that mix of those guys, but he had a bad, uh, a really serious neck injury. But he's back, and he's kind of working his way back to that full speed again. So keep an eye on him. And then defensive end Xavier Thomas. He's got perhaps the best bend in this entire class outside of Kayvon Thibodeau. And he can really corner after taking the inside shoulder of the tackle and creating that proverbial kind of swinging gate of that tackle where he angles that thing inside. He's a stand-up rusher, very explosive off the edge, both against the pass and run like you want to see somebody flag down those wide zone runs away from them Thomas is your guy on Wake Forest I'm going back to the receiver position here I've got one guy I really like Jaquari Robertson really smooth route runner impressive athlete we talked earlier this week about Jalen Waddle kind of creating blind spots in his route running Robertson can do that as well Number seven, Michigan State. Number four, Ohio State. What a great matchup this is. I mean, this Ohio State offense is my favorite thing to watch in the country right now. I I think we all need to see Ohio State versus Georgia at some point in the playoffs. That great offense versus what, in my opinion, is the greatest defense in college football history. And in fact, 
I think this Ohio State offense is on the same level of Bama and LSU from 2019 with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson versus Tua Tungavailoa and uh, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy and all those guys. My personal favorite in this game, everyone loves Chris Olave and he's great, but I like Garrett Wilson. He's a really great route runner, a tough guy with the football in his hands and just one of those alpha type of dudes. On the other side, Kenneth Walker has been the best running back in the country. Big test for him here against Ohio State to try to keep up with that offense. Excellent contact balance, quickness behind the line, changes the angle on tacklers. He does it all. And by the way, on the other side of the football, Ohio State's freshman running back, absolute stud too, but of course he's not eligible for the draft. Another Michigan State skill player I like is Jaden Reed, absolutely electric with the football in his hands. Going out to the Pac-12 here, number three, Oregon versus 24, Utah. My Cougs didn't get the win last week that would have kept them in contention for the Pac-12 North title, but that's okay. They weren't up to that test and Oregon is hopefully going to crash the college football party this year for the first time for the Pac-12 since I think it was 2016 when UW went. So I'm excited about that, but keep getting these wins against these teams that you should beat Oregon. But Devin Lloyd for Utah, the outside linebacker prospect, is an absolute monster. He does everything. He's almost like a Jerome Baker type in that way that he can play all three phases of the game and never come off the football field. Anthony Brown and the that Oregon running game, that's their quarterback. And with Travis Dye there, or rather Troy Dye there, along with uh, C.J. Verdell, who's hurt right now. But I think that those two guys and also the kind of speed mesh concepts they can run in the passing game will be a great test for a guy like Devin Lloyd, who is my favorite linebacker of the entire class. And we've talked about Oregon a bunch. Kayvon Thibodeau, you know about him. He's going to go number one in this draft, in my opinion. One guy we haven't mentioned is center Alex Forsyth. This is an offensive line factory over the last several years, and that's Mario Cristobal's working in, in at play there and it's the same principle as you'd expect from a Mario Cristobal offensive lineman tough smart dependable and gets great push in the run game so I'll take uh yeah just give me the favorites give me Wake Forest give me Ohio State give me Oregon that works out every week doesn't it 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 really doesn't but whatever who cares my real picks I care about are the NFL which I've been struggling lately last week was better I think it was 10 4 and 1 let's check that out real quick 9-4-1, and that brings us to 97-52-1 on the season. Still not quite up to that 75% we're shooting for, but we're going to work towards that. And it started on Thursday. Don't know the outcome as I record the podcast here, but I took the Patriots over the Falcons. Didn't want to do it, but without Corderell Patterson, I think the Falcons are going to have a tough time getting offense going in that game. Dolphins over Jets, Bills over the Colts, although I think it's going to be a closer game than most people might think. Give me the Ravens over the Bears as they bounce back after the loss to Miami last week. Titans over Texans, Cleveland over Detroit. I'm taking the Vikings over the Packers. I think the Vikings are are getting very close, and they obviously had that big win against the Chargers last week. If they're not in prime time, they tend to play pretty well, especially Kirk Cousins. I'll take the Vikings over the Packers, who were looking really sluggish last week in that win, at least offensively, over the Seahawks. Give me the Eagles to win. I wrote down the Patriots. That's not right. Who do, who do the Eagles play this week? We'll come back to that game here in just one second. Ah, it was N-O, not N-E. Give me the Eagles over the Saints in that game. I'm going to take the Washington football team over Carolina. I think Ron Rivera gets his revenge against his former employer. San Francisco over Jacksonville. The Bengals over the Raiders. I think the Bengals kind of get things turned around here. The Raiders have had a tough couple of weeks here after that nice start with the uh, bringing up Passaccia as their head coach. The Chiefs over the Cowboys. 
that's a tough one, but I think Kansas City might have found their rhythm, and I'm going to be picking them pretty much every week as I do every week, you know, going back for a few years now. I'll take the Seahawks over the Cardinals if Kyler Murray's not back up to full strength and full health. I don't like that offense as much, and the Seahawks, I think, will get things going better this week than they did last week. The Chargers over the Steelers, although there's a bunch of COVID uh, possible misses in that game, in this game with, uh, I think, Joey Bosa, Mika Fitzpatrick, Ben Roethlisberger still on that list as well, so we'll see what happens there. And they give me Tampa Bay over the Giants on Monday night football so that's your week 11 picks that's the friday podcast we'll have the recap show for you on sunday night slash monday morning in addition to the post game show on 560 wqam if you're going to be out there for the game if you're going to be out in new york city slatteries on saturday night the miami dolphins bar out there in new york city you don't want to miss that myself seth levitt oj mcduffie a whole gaggle of miami dolphins contingency is going to be descending upon that bar on saturday fans and employees and us in the podcast network can't wait to get out there and see all you guys out there as for next week's podcast program thanksgiving week no thursday no friday show enjoy your families i will do the exact same we'll bump up the preview show to wednesday and we'll get rid of the deep dive and the friday mailbag podcast we'll take a bye week next week as we can all kind of enjoy our holiday and a short little mini bye week in the middle of the week so to speak my brother and his uh, his kids are coming down for the holiday so i cannot wait to see them and have them here and watch some football with them and do some south florida stuff but that's the podcast schedule next week we'll be back to five days the following week again so stay tuned with us here on drive time in the meantime you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts. leave us a rating leave us a review you can follow me on twitter at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank podcast with seth and oj and as far as the miami dolphins social accounts go we're going to be taking that thing over on saturday as well i think sunday morning out of the metlife takeover tailgate too so keep an eye on the ig the twitter account the facebook the tiktok all that fun stuff and of course our youtube channel for all the media availabilities and dolphins today and of course miamidolphins.com until next time fins up caroline daddy's coming home